Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. I'm sorry, Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. And as you're turning that, I'm going to invite up my friend Justice is coming up to read us in the, uh, lead us in the reading of God's Word. And so once you get there to Matthew chapter 28, notice again, not Ephesians 5, Matthew 28. Once you get there, go ahead and stand uh, with Justice and I this morning for the reading of God's Word out of Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Father, we come into your presence once again this morning, just um, reminded of your grace, God, that just flows from you into our lives. It's a grace that comes upon us and and really empowers things to grow, empowers life to happen. And it's just such a joy to be able to celebrate that this morning with all those different lives that have been changed by you and families and Um, Lord, now as we have your word opened and for the short time we have left, as we read and hear what you've spoken in your word, Jesus, we ask that you would be our teacher. We gather here this morning not as spectators, but as your disciples, wanting to learn from you so that we can follow you into all that you have for us. So, God, thanks for this time. Jesus, I truly pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you really would be the preacher in this moment. You'd help me get out of the way so that you can be at the center and so that your work can be accomplished. So we ask you, God, to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, as we continue to move along here in our gathering... We've ended up here in Matthew chapter 28, and I think I should say, how did, how did we get here? Okay, how did we go from Ephesians 5, talking about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations? And there's a good answer to that question, okay? Uh, for the past, really the better part of this year, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, some have called it the crown of Paulinism, one of the greatest works that the Apostle Paul wrote, so powerful, so profound. And the book of Ephesians, a letter written to a first century young church like, like ours by the Apostle Paul from the perspective of, and the heart of a pastor to this church. Um, the book of Ephesians centers around this idea of what it means to be in Christ, um, to be positioned in him and what that actually um, impl- uh, implies, uh, what, 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 why that's good news and how to live from that place. This is uh, one of the central truths about the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has come to do. It's what we celebrated this morning, that, that the gospel is a work in our lives that not only rescues us and reconciles us, but the gospel also repositions us. It puts us in a new place, and that place is the person of Jesus. 
And so Ephesians is all about the depths of what it actually means to be in him. And the big idea is like, I think we tend to assume we know that, but we really, really we haven't begun to scratch the surface. But the deeper we dive, the more fruit we will bear. Amen? The deeper we dive into this reality of what it means to be in Christ, the more life will flow from ours. And so uh, as we've gotten to chapter 5, here's my explanation now, okay? As we've gotten to the end of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, each week we're looking at like a different aspect of what it means to be in Christ. And we looked in chapter 5 at marriage, but Paul teaches us that that is actually a picture of a greater relationship. The husband and wife is, is designed, that relationship is, is ultimately uh, there to to display and communicate the relationship between God and his people, or Christ and who? The church. And so we've begun a little detour in the book of Ephesians, exploring solace in Christ. And when I say solace, I mean like us. Like, hey guys, it's us. Here we are. Um, And we're we're exploring this little mini-series within a series, this little detour, on, on what the Bible has to say to us about us. I mean, that's really what's happening in Ephesians 5. Paul is writing to a local church, the church at Ephesus, and he begins to like, he, Paul thinks it's important, and we, we would as well, to, to, for the church to know who they are. Like to, for, for us to, to hear what God has to say to us about us, it, it really matters for everything we're doing here. So it's kind of a big deal, okay? And so Paul takes some time to do that, and the way he begins is really beautiful. Uh, Paul begins in Ephesians 5, when, when, when he starts to talk about the church, he talks about the church from a zoomed-out lens. For those of us who have spent some time in church, it's good and it's helpful to zoom out every now and then so that you don't get lost in the weeds. So you don't miss, what's the expression, the forest for the trees, the trees for the forest, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, I kind of think of navigating last week, the Reedies and my family headed down to Miami. They have like great deals during the week for the Miami Marlins games, probably because like nobody's there, but like we hopefully more people go. Um, it was actually pretty well attended and crowded. It was a sweet time. The ballpark there is beautiful. This is totally a commercial for the local baseball team. Go, go watch them. And you know, as, you know, the biggest obstacle to going to a Marlins game is driving to Miami. And listen, no offense, Miami people, 305 till you die, it's all good. Like, but we might have some differences, okay? And maybe I'm just insulting my own bokeness. I don't know, okay? Um, it's, such like, it's such a conflicting thing to say that you're like a boca guy. It's just so, anyway. All right. So, Driving down to Miami, one of the things that we had to do every now and then on the GPS, you know, you get the GPS thing going, and when you're going down to Miami, what's the color that you are inevitably going to see? Red. Not even the weird orange color that's also kind of concerning. And what I had to do every now and then was zoom out to keep going, to see that there's blue ahead, that there's hope ahead, that it's not as bad as it looks. And I think it can be that way with church sometimes. I wonder how many of us have been to the verge of giving up on church because we were so zoomed in on the red. We were so zoomed in on the mess. We were so caught in the weeds. We were burnt out. And I love what Paul does to this church. He's like, take a step back. 
I almost imagine like a beautiful piece of, of art or sculpture that if you're this close, <laughs> you're not going to see the beauty of it. And that's what Paul begins by giving us. He's like, take a step back and zoom out as far back as you could go and begin with the identity of the church. This was week one, the question of who we are. And Paul teaches something so profound and so life-giving to any church, especially one like ours that's just in our fifth or sixth year of ministry. Paul reminds us that we're a part of something bigger than us. That the local church is actually an expression of something larger, of a greater family, a bigger family, a larger family. It's the family of God. We get a glimpse of this in Revelation, that there is going to be this great worship service of all churches from all nations and all times with one thing in common, Jesus. Amen? Amen? You're allowed to talk here, okay? As long as you're talking to me about what Jesus is inspiring in your heart, you can talk. Okay. No other talking allowed. That sounded pretty harsh. You know, I didn't want to. All right. Paul begins with that expression, and then he goes into, or rather we went into, I should say, our ministry. We started with who we are, and then we ended up in Matthew 16 asking this really important question. Okay, we understand that we are this local expression of a bigger family that doesn't always look or talk or act like us, but is the church of Jesus. We, we can get so granular that it's only about our church. Do you know what I mean? It's like this is the, as if we're the only church. Like, who would name a, name a church like only church? You know what I mean? Like soulless church. Like, who would do that? All right, that's not what we mean, by the way, with our name. Okay, um, solace means alone, by the way, if you're wondering the joke I'm telling. Okay, um, and so we don't ever want to think that way. we got to zoom out. we got to zoom out to see ourselves as a part of a bigger family. And we, we could also dangerously become so zoomed out that we forget that there's also a local element to the church, that we're also called to function as a family member, a part of the local church. Um, this is seen in Scripture, this balance between those two things. And it's from that that you see, okay, well, what are we here for? We're a local church as an expression of this family, and Jesus teaches us that as a local church, even here at Solace, we are a small part of a greater mission. Like, we're, we're here to be a puzzle piece. And, and there's, there's, a, there's both humility and joy in that statement. First of all, we're just a small part. We're just a puzzle piece of something bigger that God has been doing and building for centuries. And Jesus says, and I will continue to do to the end of the age. And we're just here to be like, hi, we're Solace. We're over here with this puzzle piece in 2023 in Boca Raton. What's up? We're a puzzle piece of this greater portrait of Jesus and his body. And we're a small part of something he's doing. This is what's so cool. This is where this gets exciting. That humility leads to joy because here's, here's what you realize. You go, we're a part of what God is doing, amen? amen? Like, wow, we're a small part. We're not, we're not the whole. We have a, a part to play in this, this thing that God is doing of advancing the kingdom throughout the world, but we get to be a part of that. Let's take that a step further. Actually, it's, it's more than that. The scriptures would teach us that even here, let's receive this as soulless church in this moment, in our time and place, we have been sent to be about kingdom business. We are, we are a people who are not here on accident. We're here because Jesus willed for our church to be here for such a time as this, to play our part in what he's doing. That's fun. That's exciting that we get to join him, that, that God takes his kids to work. You know what I mean? He's like, come with me. I got some cool things to do. Now, now what is it that we're doing? We have a mission, we have a ministry, and from that we saw there in Matthew 28, it's really clear Every church has their own way to communicate 
you know, their theological vision and, how, you know, the context of that and how they're called to be a church and lead people and make disciples. But we're all saying, hopefully, we're all saying the same thing. Like, we don't change the mission of the church. The church exists, actually, because God has this mission. And it's right from Matthew 28, where Jesus sending out the first ever church planters. He tells them, you're going to go into the world, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to make disciples of all nations. That's the global vision. And then he zooms in on what that's going to look like in a local context, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we're familiar with that by now, right? Teaching them to observe, here's the vision, all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is Jesus' vision of what the church is to be and what it's to be about. There's a lot of great ministries that God has called our church and the church to be about, but there is an ultimate ministry that soulless church and every church is to exist for if it's the church of Jesus, and that is to make disciples. This is Jesus' vision. Uh, Jesus' vision, we'll say it this way, of the church is a community of baptized believers. Baptism doesn't make you a part of the community, but there's a big emphasis on this expression of being a part of God's redeemed family through Christ. So that's the church. It's the redeemed family of God gather locally, displaying their salvation through baptism. And notice this. We are, as a community, or we can even say a family, learning to live in the way of Jesus together as disciples. Why do you wake up every Sunday morning and come to a middle school? Why, Why would you gather on a Tuesday night to have big discussions about faith? Why would we gather at a ministry center on a Wednesday night? Why would we go and, and post up at FAU and give away free? I mean, everything that we're doing here is centered around what we've been called to. Because we're a community learning to live in the way of Jesus together as disciples. This is what Jesus envisioned of the church. And let me say it this way. This is also what the scriptures model of the church. In, in the book of Acts, the first local church ever. We looked at it last week, Acts 2. The first ever local church looks like this. And it's the, it's the closest thing to the mission. You know, it's like, it's good to come back to the, uh, the church in Acts. It's a different context, a different culture. I think we forget that sometimes. But the church of Acts is as, as close to the original plan in terms of its timing uh, than any other church. When you look at Acts 2, you see the church is this. It's a community of baptized believers learning to live in the way of Jesus together as disciples. So... I want to add a layer to this today. This is going to be a detour within a detour. Enjoy the ride, okay? Week one was who. Week two, or rather week one, who we are. Uh, Week two is why we are. Uh, But in light of this this morning, I want to take our last moments to talk about what. What we are talking about, okay? (laughs) What are we talking about when we use the word disciple? Um, there's a lot of Christian buzzwords out there. And sometimes you can come into a church and you're like, I got to learn the language here to fit in. You know, it's like the buzzwords, you know. And every, every like, couple of few years in the church, like, there's new buzzwords that come from, like, the, and sometimes denominations share them. Sometimes they throw them over, like, you could use this now. You know, you get the renewal word now, you know. You can use that. That was, like, a big buzzword. But one that's, like, it seemed to stand the test of time as a church buzzword is the word discipleship. And I think it's one of those words that's overused um, and underdefined. Do you know what I mean? And, and it, can be, it almost can be like a catch-all for anything. It's like, what'd you do? Like, well, we hung out with Christians. Discipleship, check. Like, like I shared a verse with someone. Discipleship. It's like, what are we talking about here? Like, um, 
first of all, if, if what we're talking about here is the primary reason for why we're here, we should put some definition around it, right? We probably shouldn't just like throw it on everything as this big, like we should have an idea. And so when I talk about discipleship today, I want to also give a caveat. What I'm talking about here is the mission of our church, the thing that God has commissioned and called us to do. Like if you're here, this is what God has for you and me. That's why we're here. And we're talking about specifically discipleship in the way of Jesus. Discipleship as Matthew 28 is envisioning it. I'm not talking about mentorship. That's another thing that's important. But I want to give a definition of what the scriptures give around the idea of Discipleship. So here's the big idea. You could write this down. Defining discipleship. Uh, I'd like to give, which is often helpful when you're defining something, a, a few things about discipleship regarding what it is. And maybe we say what it isn't. Does that help? Okay. Thanks, Jordan. I mean, sign language works. Jordan gave me one of these. Like, I'll take that. Okay. I know you're used to not being loud in the cafeteria. That's like, I think we have some PTSD maybe. Like, I don't want to get a detention. Okay. That's true. What discipleship is and what it is. And I just want to rapid fire a couple key things about discipleship before we head out this morning. When we talk about the center of what the church is to be about, when we talk about why Solas is here, when we talk about why the church is, is really is still growing here in our country and around the world. We're talking about this thing, discipleship. What is it? What isn't it? A couple key things. Write this first thing down. First of all, discipleship. What is it? Discipleship. It's, number one, a Jesus thing and not an us thing. We've got to start here. Discipleship is a Jesus thing. It's, it's not an us thing. Meaning we are not the ones that we're trying to form people into. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's a Jesus thing. Now, you get that idea here in Matthew 28 that discipleship is a Jesus thing, not an us thing, when Jesus is like making a big deal about everything at all, like being about him. You know what I mean? He's like, I've got all authority in heaven on earth. You're going to baptize people in my name. You're going to teach them what I've commanded. And, and know this, I'm going to empower this and be in and through this. So discipleship, Jesus would teach us this, is a, is a Jesus thing, not an us thing. Um, the goal of discipleship is to look more like Jesus. This is a miracle. We're going to talk about how God actually makes this happen in our lives. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but that just kind of fills my head and leaves. Because of how impossible that thought is. And how much when I look in the mirror, I don't see Jesus. Am I the only one up here? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if this morning you looked at me and you're like, oh, hey, Jesus, there you are, okay? But probably not. You didn't, okay? But Romans 8, 29 says this, that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. His selection and salvation of your life was not just for you to go to heaven one day. Actually, Paul uses these primary words that he saved you to conform you to the image of Jesus. So let, let's, this is not our idea. This is God's idea. It, discipleship is a Jesus thing that God has in mind to make us look more like Jesus. And I think this is an important definition because discipleship has like, when we talk about like Solus is here to make disciples and, and we talk about discipleship in the church, and I'm talking about the Western context a lot. That's my context. So I, I want to speak on behalf of the church worldwide. But a lot of times like what people think of when they think of the Great Commission 
is they think that when Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples, that he was telling people to go be Jesus and have 12 disciples. And if you're like a mom, you're like, how, how do I get 12 disciples? You're like, I, got, I already have pretty much the, the manpower, of, the horsepower of 12 in my house with these three kids, right? And that can be the mindset. Like, go into all the world, and it's this very, like, human-centered discipleship mindset. Jesus does not say, go into all the world and make disciples of you. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. And so we're not here, the commission, to go out and make, let me say this way, like replicas of ourselves. Now, there is such a thing called mentorship. We see Paul's unique relationship with Timothy. And, and Paul and Timothy had this discipleship relationship that's really healthy. But, but I love what Paul says. We get insight. Like, if anybody balanced this out in a healthy way where, like, he was invested in someone's life, but the ministry model wasn't like, it's all, like, you, don't, like you need to have a relationship with God through me. That's kind of the broken idea. Are you following me? Where it's like, I'm here to, you know, follow me. You don't follow Jesus. This is what we think. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's not what Paul meant when he said that, by the way was like, you need me to have a relationship with, you can't talk to him on your own. It's, it's like an unhealthy d- dynamic there, okay? What Paul was saying is like, hopefully we want to be able to say this, like, as I follow Jesus, like, I, that's the best leader I can be. If I want to lead you to follow him, I've got to be following him too, right? But, but Paul gives great insight to this. I love this in, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1. He, here's what he says to them. He's like, as a pastor, he goes, I don't have dominion over your faith. But I'm a fellow worker for your joy. For by faith you stand. Notice that. By faith in your own relationship with Jesus you stand. And I got to tell you, like, I'm learning this five years into this church. I had a conversation about this with a friend recently. There's a difference as a pastor being responsible to someone and being responsible for them. And some of you have been bought into this really broken American church thing that your own relationship with Jesus depends on this person. And more and more, I'm just like, hey, I'll meet with you, but like, you have to follow Jesus. I can't follow Jesus for you. And there's a weight off of that. There's a calling to that, but there's a lot of broken ministry mindsets where like, and maybe the way that half the church thinks this way, God help us, is because half of the church's leaders have led this way. So it's all we know. I can't hear God for myself. I got to hear from God from this person. I can't be confident in any of my own decision-making. Now, you should make your decisions in the context of community, especially big ones. God speaks to you. Did you know that? Do you know that he wants you to follow him and know him? Discipleship is a call to know and follow the real living Jesus. And so there's a danger here. We can have this mindset in ministry where, like, I have dominion over your... Paul's like, even the apostle Paul is like, I'm just here to be a fellow worker for your happiness in Jesus. I'm just here to be like, I'm here, I'm like here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to encourage you and lift you up. Um, and like, I, I, if I could move like from the critique of like that ministry mindset to more of like just some compassion. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had as a pastor with people who are no longer following Jesus because the person that was leading them failed them. And that was their connection to God. That, and, and can I tell you something? Maybe that was a good thing for you. Maybe, maybe the problem was it wasn't by faith that you stood, but you stood on their standing. 
And that's not your relationship with Jesus. That's their relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you this? Can I just proclaim over your life today? If you have to close your eyes to receive this, hear me say this, that Jesus is still Jesus today. Despite what's happened, despite how they've led you, despite how they've, whatever has happened, they're not Jesus. And Jesus is still Jesus. He's still alive. He's still the king of the world. He still demonstrated his love for you. He's still coming back. Listen, he's still with you. He's still with you. Psalm 118 says this, that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I am not trying to preach you out of community, okay? But I am trying to call you out of an Americanized, Westernized understanding of the Christian faith that takes discipleship and puts it in this context of you can't have your own relationship with God. You need this person. And maybe, just maybe, if that thing failed and then your relationship with God failed, maybe your relationship with God was broken in the first place. And maybe this is the best thing that could happen to you. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. That's been my experience. And uh, I want to learn to, to not just learn from people's successes, but we can learn from their failures as well. It's better to trust in the Lord. When I, when I was a young Christian, someone told me this, that this verse is actually the center verse of the Bible. Like if you count from Genesis in the end and you go to the middle, um, and that the center verse of the the word of the center verse of the Bible is the word Lord. Um, now, did you think, you think that's cool? Here's the, I just found out this morning that's not true. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> another reason to not put your confidence in man. Okay. <laughs> There's so many of these like Christian things we believe because everyone's saying they're true. It's like, yeah, it's true. It's the middle verse of the Bible. It's not the middle verse of the Bible, actually. Wrong chapter, actually. Okay. That's neither here nor there. Next verse. Or next point. A discipleship. So first thing we need to establish, it's a Jesus thing. It's not an us thing. Amen? Like, when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about you and Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. And, and we want to be a ministry that can both call people to depend on Jesus alone, but also lead them well. You need community. You need leaders. That's all important. We also want to be a place where you can find some restoration from some of that brokenness. But another thing we need to know is discipleship. Here's another kind of broken idea. It's, not a, it's, it's a life thing. It's not a stage thing. Like, I used to be a disciple, but now I make disciples. Disciplemaker at gmail.com. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hit my line. Notice Jesus is speaking to his disciples, right? And he's saying, go make disciples. But notice verse 16, who's he talking to? The 11 who? Have these guys figured it all out now? No, and this is like a really broken idea we have about discipleship. I've actually heard this in our church a lot. Like when we're talking about discipleship, you immediately go to a new believer. Like that's important, nurturing the, the faith of a new believer. We need to do that. We need to help them. But like, listen, if you ever get to the point where you don't need discipleship as much as a new believer, you're, you're missing it. And you're not able to lead people well if you're not following well. And so this, like, can we just share this? Like, here's the one thing we all have in common in the church. There's no categories. There's certain calls and offices, but, but we're, at the end of the day, we're all here. Like, we're just like, Jesus saved us, and we want to follow him for the rest of our lives. That's it. And we're all learning to do that. We're at different stages. We're at different ages. There's different phases of this, but, but we're all learning 
to follow Jesus. We're, here's a good way to think about this and something to say to yourself in your own relationship with God. Say to yourself, I'm a lifelong learner is what you want to think. I'm a lifelong learner. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it after three years from doing the Bible in the year. You know, like being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it when you walk with Jesus for 10 years. Will complete it when you get married. Lord knows that's when it starts. Look, (laughs) he'll complete it when you become a pastor or you enter ministry. Notice when the work is completed on the day of Jesus Christ. Lifelong learner. And and you know what I just love about that is that everybody in our community, despite your age and stage, can bless the other person. We're all following Jesus. So, so we can be inspired by young people in our church who have begun to follow Jesus, and we go, you can do it to the end. Long obedience in the same direction. Lifelong. Go. Run your race. And we could also be encouraged by those in our church that are still running their race after decades. Can I tell you, like, if you're here, you so matter to our church, senior saint, genuinely, those of you that have run the race and are modeling for us what longevity and faithfulness looks like in a trendy culture, we honor you. We honor you in this house. We honor you enough to clap for you, okay? And then some. We'll do a little bit. We, we love you too. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. I've been walking with him for a long time, but I'm just getting started. But one thing I do, I I continue to forget those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This verse has no partiality or favoritism toward a stage of life. And, you know, I'm seeing this model so well as a 35-year-old, I just want to honor my dad, who's 78. And, and he loves this right now. He loves this. Favorite part of the service. And, and my dad has modeled to me what it looks like to be 78 years old, to walk with Jesus through grief, to walk with Jesus through a lot of hard stuff, but to still at 78 say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. That's awesome. That's a heart that we all want. That doesn't make it about the churchy crap, man, but it's about Jesus. And we need more of that in our church from every age and every stage. Amen? Amen. Listen, discipleship's also, it's not a, we got to know this, it's not a what thing, it's an if thing. It's not, a, it's not an us thing, it's a Jesus thing. It's a life thing, not a stage thing. It's also, it's, it's a what thing, not an if thing. Um. Jesus gives a pretty, like, bold idea. He's like, go up to every person in the world who has their own ideas, who has their own worldview, who even, like, they're going to have their own religion. And he's like, get them by the power of the Spirit to follow me instead. Make Christians in all the world. That's like hardly, hardly universalistic and inclusive. Like it's very exclusive and radical and, and bold. Like this is Jesus saying this. The, the implication here is that there's a way that the world is going and discipleship is going another way. 
And as we think about that in terms of discipleship, I think John Mark Comer, who's kind of like our modern-day Dallas Willard, just like the Dallas Willard of our generation, some great books on discipleship and formation, has a new one coming out. How many of you guys have read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by, by Comer? Hands up and high. It's a cute book. So, like, almost a quarter of us. Awesome. Um, Comer talks a lot about this. His other book, Live No Lies, on the heart of fighting against the, the three uh, enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He talks about this. But I, I love this quote um, from Live No Lies. John Mark Comer talks about discipleship and formation. He said this, spiritual formation isn't just a, a follower of Jesus thing. It's a human thing. We're all being formed every minute of every day. We're all becoming someone. You today are the product of whoever you've become this year and the decisions you've made and the priorities you've had. Intentional or unintentional, conscious or subconscious, deliberate or haphazard, we're all in a process of becoming a person. This is so true. We're not static beings. We're dynamic beings who are growing and who are becoming someone. Discipleship is not a what thing. Or sorry, it's not an if thing, it's a what thing. Comer also says this, the question isn't, am I a disciple? If you're a disciple, it's who or what am I a disciple of? Romans 12, 2, Paul gives some context to this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice what Paul's saying here. Formation is not optional, it's inevitable. The question isn't if you're being formed, it's what is forming you? Who's your leader? Notice the key phrase here has to do with your mind, your thoughts, your beliefs, your narratives. What are you believing about God and life? How much of the Apostles' Creed actually informs who you are and how you live? Formation is inevitable. The question isn't if you're being formed, it's are you being formed into the pattern of this world, or are you being transformed into the image of Jesus? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Discipleship, it's not a what thing, it's an if thing. This is an, another really important thing. I'm just, you know, last week I said I have no points, so I'm overcompensating this week, clearly. Discipleship is not a do thing, or sorry, excuse me, it's a do thing, not a no thing. Discipleship to Jesus. When we talk about, like, we're up to discipleship here, we're talking about following Jesus intentionally because we're going to be formed, and we're talking about something that's, a, that's, a, that's an action thing, like my decisions that are informed by what I really believe, not merely, we should say, a no thing. Obviously, teaching and truth matters. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the, the posture and position we're in right now each and every Sunday. But ultimately, what is the point of receiving the word, James would say, to do the word? What's the point of seeing that whatever condition reflection in the mirror? It's to observe, just like you did this morning. It looks like all of you looked in the mirror, by the way. I can tell because of how good you look. I doubt most of you did that. You looked in the mirror and you're like, okay, let's fix that before people see it. Okay? I thought that this morning. I'm like, people are going to be like, Andrew got sunburned. Like, look at that. Look at his face. There's a lobster guest preaching at the church. Now... That's a stupid joke, but I like it. Okay. That's what James says. <laughs> that's so stupid. James says, that's, that's the word. You hear the word. Like, look, and, you, and it's not about just knowing. The goal of, of, can I tell you this? 
Like, my goal, like, I, I study, I labor. I really want to come up here and give you more than a little TED Talk for Jesus. I want to really, like, give you an in-depth study of what God has to say. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit every Sunday. I'm like, God, what, what are you saying? I want to just, like, hear you so that, like, I can get out of the way and you can speak. Can I tell you, I don't labor in sermon prep for you to get smarter. I don't study because I eat what I serve. I don't study to gain knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. God is not impressed by what we know. But he's moved by obedience. That gets his attention. Because he's like, I got all the knowledge. Like, well, oh, cool, you know some of what I know. That's an overstatement, right? He's not impressed by what we know, but he's moved by a heart that's actually seeing the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, Jesus says, go into all the world, and what is, what is discipleship? He's like, teach them to observe what I've commanded. We forget that part. If the Great Commission ended at teach them, this is an easy job. If that's all I had to do. It's like if shepherding and pastoring was just like, tell them what Jesus said. It's like, done, I do that every Sunday. But the goal of, of discipleship, the goal of the church, the goal of my life, is that I begin to activate God's word in how I live. Uh, Jesus said that, that this is actually what he calls a wise man, right? He says, whoever hears my sayings and does them, I'll like, that's a wise man. That's a wise guy. He who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall. It didn't fall down when the storms came because it was more than just top-heavy head knowledge. It was rooted in truth and relationship and action. And like God, like Jesus, you're not just a part of my life. You're the center of my life because you're Lord and Savior. And and what you're saying to me is for my good. And I'm going to do everything I can to orient my life around what you've said. That's a good foundation. He says, but everyone who hears these sayings and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. Now, I want you to notice this next verse. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. And I think that's intentionally put in there to emphasize the point. A a max majority of this multitude does not continue to follow Jesus, even though they were astonished at his teaching. Have you heard that sermon? Oh, my gosh. Jesus can preach, man. Like, you should get him an Instagram account and really blow that thing up, you know. And this is what we do. We glorify preachers. We glorify preaching to this level of like information overload. We just want someone to entertain me and make me feel good and keep my attention for a fraction of the amount of time that I'll watch an Avengers movie and then complain that the sermon was too long. Hello. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus is teaching that that's, that's actually vanity. He's concerned with our hearts. He's concerned with our lives. That's why we're here. Amen? But can I tell you, it's a love thing, not a law thing. (laughs) Because right now you're like, yeah, I need to do more. Get God back on my good side. I've been, you know, rather than doing the good things and ceasing from doing the bad things, I've been ceasing from doing the good things. I've been at church and I haven't done this or that, but I've been definitely not ceasing to do It's important we remember when we talk about obedience, Jesus is talking here about obedience. I want you you to be reminded that it's a love thing, 
not a law thing. Uh, this is evidence in the Great Commission by the order of things. You, you don't obey Jesus, and therefore you can be immersed in the triunity of the, of the Trinity and accepted by God. We, we baptize first, and we say, you are accepted by God. Now go live a life of obedience. You see the order there? Uh, Tim Keller says everything I try to say, shorter and better. He says this. He says, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel of Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. This is also what 1 John 2 says. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Isn't that cool? Like your ability to keep the commandments of Jesus and live in the way of Jesus is not going to be the result of you being a good little boy and a good little girl who keeps the rules because God wants you to keep his rules. No, John's like, oh, an obedient Christian is just someone who God's love has transformed. By this, the love of God is transformed in us, not by the law, but by the love of God. By this, we know we are in him because we are loved by him, and there is no greater motivator to love God and love others than being loved by God. And some of you today are exhausted, and the reason why you're exhausted is because you have um, failed to keep yourself in the love of God, and you've become burnt out on legalism. You've become burnt out on doing, and you've given up on Jesus because you weren't actually following him. You were following a list of rules. And what do you need today? You just need to come back to the love of God and say, Holy Spirit, pour out your love in my heart. Thank you that I don't get accepted by you for my obedience. Thank you that your acceptance of me perfectly is what motivates my obedience. Amen? There's one amen. Okay, well, guys, next week is going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> Write this down. It's a we thing. It's not a me thing. Discipleship's a we thing. Like Zacchaeus, it's not a me thing, okay? I couldn't help but think of that song. Discipleship is a we thing, not a me thing. Um, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Get people centered around the person. It's about Jesus. And, and formation's inevitable. It's going to happen. So, so have Jesus be the center point. Understand that it's not just about knowledge. It's about putting into practice what he has to say, orienting my life around what he has to say, motivated by love. This is his vision, not law. And notice the collective language, making, just go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, here's a key phrase, them. There's a communal aspect of this. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. The idea, uh, Jesus here is speaking prophetically about what we'll see in a couple chapters with the church of Acts. And this is how we see discipleship was, was practiced in the early church. Like, I think with, with all the great writing and preaching nowadays on formation and discipleship, I think the thing that we can forget is that um, discipleship is not like an aspect of the church and an aspect of the Christian life, but it's what we're here for. And so discipleship, you and Jesus, really only finds its bearing in community, truly. This is what Jesus, like Jesus said, disciples, follow me. And he called all these different like political enemy guys. He's like, come follow me. And he's like, okay, now, you know, you sit together in the small group, like you on that side, you on that side. And, and you're going to follow me together. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. In Hebrews, the writer will say, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some that was even before kind of the Western individual thing. But exhorting one another, and so much so as you see the day approaching. I love that the, 
the emphasis in this passage on community is stirring. I love that. Versus maybe the contrast is like getting spiritually stale. You ever felt that way? And what do you need? You need a good stirring. You need some, you need some brothers. You need some other logs to come into the mix of your fire to get your heart ablaze again. We're almost done. You guys are doing great. Speaking of riding along, it's a train thing. Not a try thing. It's a train thing, not a try thing. Almost done. By train, I mean like the way you train for a marathon. Or the way you train to be good at whatever your skill is or your hobby. Discipleship to Jesus is not about tr- you know, trying to do something. And a lot of us, we've given up because we're like, I tried it. So it goes, well, that's, nope. <laughs> You don't do that for anything else. You know what I mean? Um, I'd be done with golf by now because I am not good at that thing, okay? I'm training, though. I'm a golfer in training. Okay. Whatever it is, I've been, you know, leading my son into my passions as well. He's been following me as I follow Christ, I guess. And skateboarding is one of the things he picked up. And kickflip, one of the most complex tricks to learn on a skateboard. It's not something you try. It's something you train to do. Jesus when he, when, he, when he sends the disciples out to help people follow him, notice he says, like, teach them to observe what I commanded. Like, it, it's going to require time and learning. Like, discipleship and formation, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time, which is really difficult for those of us who are perfectionists, right? It's like, because here's, here's a qualifier to following Jesus. You got to be cool with your imperfectionism. Your imperfectionishness. The fact that you're imperfect. Okay? That's discipleship to Jesus is not about perfection, it's about progress. It's glory to glory, is what Paul says. It's not a try thing, it's a train thing. Paul says this. He's like, I have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather, in other words, turn off the news. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Train for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Like this is Jesus' vision too. Jesus in Luke six, he's like, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So isn't this cool? It's like Jesus, is like come, like come train. Okay, you're not you're not going to be perfect. Um, I don't want to tell you like sin your way into holiness. That's probably what it's going to look like a little bit. You're going to continue to fall short. You're going to have questions. You're going to doubt. But here's the good news. Your discipleship to Jesus doesn't depend on whether or not you succeeded last week when you tried. Amen? Aren't you glad? Just, it depends on a long game. I'm just training. I'm in, if someone asks you next time, like, are you a follower? Just be like, yeah, I'm just in training. I'm just out here training, trying to follow him. Okay. You don't have to say that. But if you want to, it would probably be a good thing to say. Now, we, we end with this last idea, as you see up there on the screen. This is the last idea. I'll invite the band to close this out. It's a spirit thing, not a flesh thing. So we're talking about discipleship to Jesus. We're talking about you and I following him, knowing him. We have all these ideas. And and though there's a call of obedience, the pressure comes off at the end of the day when we recognize one, one central thing. You don't change you. He does. He does. 
2 Corinthians 3.17 says that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The Scripture says that we're being transformed from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Anybody just need to receive that this morning? Like, listen, God doesn't need you to be continually more aware of how much you fall short. He knows that. If you don't see that, you should see that. But if you do see that, you need to surrender that to him. Say, God, I know that I need you, and I know that at the end of the day, it's a work of your spirit. It's the ministry of your love in and through my life, so my life, God, so continue to shape me. I want to be shaped by you. I want to follow you. You saved me to know you, to follow you, and it's the best life that I could ever dream for. And so what does that look like for you this morning? Maybe you just take a minute here as the music starts to fill the room, and it's really not about anything else except now just us and Jesus. As you think about your own life, we saw just these great displays today of baptism and the work that God does to change and transform us. But what is he saying to you today? What sort of brokenness have you brought into the discipleship relationship in your thinking and in your mindset that's led to, well, wherever you are, whatever you have today? Begin to ask him to show you what that is. Maybe you're well aware of it. Maybe he needs to remind you. And then you just begin to ask him to lead you, to give you some action items, some things to do, some ways to follow him. I'm just going to create a moment here where we can come before Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Jesus Christ. He's in, he's in the presence of his people when we gather. He's with you right now. And as much as you're able to come up with the words, maybe it's just sitting still in his presence. Maybe it's reflecting before him. Maybe it's saying, Father in heaven. Maybe you start to speak his word to him. Create a, a space right now in your heart where you can hear from him, connect with him, and follow wherever he's leading. Take a moment.